When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Adjust Your Tracking and all the Playlist Podcasts are sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema streaming a selection of exceptional independent, classic, and award-winning films from around the globe. Mubi's film experts handpick every single film they show. Each day they present a new gem and you have one month to watch it. Visit mubi.com slash the playlist to start a special 30-day free trial. And should you start that 30-day free trial, you uh, should immediately take note of movies uh, current highlights uh, stuff that they've just added on right now and because of their awesome sort of rotating curated list that comes every month uh, it, it hopefully it'll inspire you to keep up with these movies that are streaming there I have to put a shout out there for Hello Destroyer a 2016 Canadian film uh, was recommended by a friend of the show actually to me when he saw it at a film festival it's a it's a hockey film or a film about hockey players so uh me being a former player of that great sport uh, i'm certainly excited about that one also worth noting is a double feature on movie for the films of eduardo di gregorio he's an argentinian screenwriter and filmmaker who's uh, made made several films in france a couple of his 70s films surreal estate and short memory i know nothing about this director but both the films look very interesting it's just another example of what movie does that's so special and vital is they're uh, showing films in really good condition that uh, are not available anywhere else and uh, are, it can actually provide a pretty great film education. So dig in. That's only a few of the things that are currently available on Mubi. And as I noted, there'll be more coming every day. We thank Mubi for their support of this podcast and all their other shows. Now on with this show. Oh yeah, yeah. good luck. Mother Earth, Mother Earth, she good luck. Oh yeah, yeah, she good luck. Mother Earth, Mother Earth, she good luck. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Oppen. Joe, we're uh, we're taking a look at just just one director on this episode, correct? Yeah, I mean, we'll probably discuss with like a lot of the people who've influenced him and spin off into several different directions. That's why I like discussing a director like this, because it kind of gets the wheels turning Definitely. for kind of film at large. But today we're discussing uh, Darren Aronofsky, primarily his new film, I'm not going to scream it, Mother, <laughs> and uh, opened just this last weekend uh, wide. It was a big movie. Paramount put out. I mean, not big. Let's let's temper it a little bit. Well, but it does it was, have probably the biggest movie star right now, right? Jennifer Lawrence. She might be one yeah. of the biggest movie stars. It's true, um, and uh, it's it's not it's not insubstantial. Like a, a sizable budget went to make it, but like compared to a lot of the other fare that comes out, right. Over the course of like the summer, you know, like this is this is pretty probably a pretty modest budget. It's more like, million, uh, yeah, like it was 30 million. It's more it's uh, right in line with it, which we talked about in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Sort of these these lower mid mid budgeted, you know, the kind of movies we tend to ask midge. for more. Yeah, of. that's that's a good way to to, uh, to abbreviate it. Yeah, it's like a midge mid budget midget. <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. So, so 
I don't know. We talked about, I think like, you know, a long time ago, we talked about like, uh, directors that still have the ability to create uh, a sense of event because like it's starting to become where like movie stars aren't even guaranteed to generate an audience. Like you can look at someone like the rock who you would assume is like a guaranteed audience draw, but like one of his movies flopped this year, Tom Cruise has become, you know, he used to be a guaranteed audience draw and now he seems to be putting audiences off more than anything else. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, it's very arbitrary what, uh, who's going to work anymore. And like even more so for filmmakers, like it's not a guarantee that a filmmaker is going to be a draw towards a a sizable audience. And so the few that still manage to do that and create a sense of event are, you know, like few and far between, uh, one of the last times, like it was the most exciting was, uh, David Fincher with gone girl, Mm. uh, Quentin Tarantino with the hateful eight. However you felt about these movies, there still was a sense of like event an event around it. And, Mm. you know, like David Lynch didn't make a movie this year, but he made an 18 part, you know, uh, work of art that like he, he is, you know, primarily known as a filmmaker. So mm-hmm. you got that sense of event has like continued to be the gift that keeps on giving. However you feel about that too. So, um, so Darren Aronofsky is, I think he's one of those people like maybe on a, a, a much smaller scale, but there mm-hmm. still is the kind of sense of event around one of his new movies. And, uh, he, he's got like a, a, a style and, um, uh, like themes he works in and stuff like that, but there, there, there's isn't necessarily something pinpointable because he's jumped around in terms of like the types of movies he's made. Made like a weirdo biblical epic with Noah. <laughs> made The Fountain, which who the fuck knows what that was, and <laughs> you know, and Black Swan, which was a point of like it was one of our first conversations, which we will get into later. Yes, Thalman of Hold Up. But so now we've got his new movie opening this weekend and there is a sense of event around like this movie, like however well it did ultimately at the box office or what cinema score gave it. There was like a sense of momentum and excitement and curiosity because like the trailer that came out was like thankfully a breath of fresh air, like all the rhythms that we've gotten used to with shitty trailers and how predictable they've become. There was something kind of like electric about the unpredictability of this one where you're just like, what's going on? What is it? What are these noises? Holy shit. This is weird. I don't know what this movie's about. And like, so I'll, you know, anybody who is sort of interested in what Darren Aronofsky does and sees that he's got something that like no one can really pinpoint what it's about. There was a sense of excitement in the air. So I went to go see it Friday night. You saw it a few days before I did. Um, it was a sold out screening at the Cinerama Dome in Los Angeles. And uh, there was just there was an air of electricity. People were curious. And um, I don't know. There was like a, a menace in the air throughout the course of the movie. And uh, by the end. There was a, you know, we're we're knowing that we were at a screening that the filmmaker would be doing a and a at. At the very end of the movie, a very tepid applause. You know, there's like an applause that was like, eh, okay. And I was just like, huh, that's telling. <laughs> like, even though they know the filmmaker's waiting in the wings, 
they're like, oh, this is how I feel about the movie. Clap, clap. Sort limp. of a soft clap, golf clap, clap happening. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, I don't know. I don't know about that one. Like across hundreds of a sea of hundreds of people, they're just like, I don't, I don't know about that one. Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. I felt one with the people because like by the halfway point of this movie, I don't know about this movie is how I felt. I was like, ah, I, and I was with it for most of it. Like if we could talk about a little bit about the film itself, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. as intriguing and, uh, mysterious as the trailer was, the film starts off with a couple living in a remote household, uh, man and woman. I think it's like, Mother, like, uh, who are they referred to in the credits as? I can't. It, it's very, yeah, like basic pronouns. I think, I think Jennifer Lawrence is. I don't even know if she's referred it's like to mother as mother and Mister or something like that. Right. Or, right. Yeah. They're so, playing uh, archetypes. You know, very clearly set up as archetypal. Yes. Mm-hmm. But they're still, you know, characters, and they're relatable somewhat as people. As the sort of like the entry point of this movie, there's there's a logic that the film follows. And so it's like this couple, one of which is a writer played by Javier Bardem and his wife played by Jennifer Lawrence is sort of like in charge of getting the household together, you know, keeping it like building this place that will be their sanctuary, their, their home that they're going to like thrive and live out the rest of their days in. Like this is clearly very important to her. And then over the, you know, the, the next like half of the movie, uh, it starts a kind of like absurdist Ionesco type play premise where like uh, uninvited guests keep showing up and like she's put off by this and he seems to be charmed by it until the movie like starts to get topsy turvy and you're you're not sure like when the sort of sense of escalation is going to stop. And um, so like th- her world is seemingly starting to get out of control and uh she doesn't know how to maintain it. And so, like, my, I don't know, like, my beef with the movie is, is that, like, it's it's this weird kind of uh, expressionistic experience of, like, watching her nightmare unfold. And it's it does have, like, nightmare logic in the first half of it, the whole, actually, the entirety of it. But, mm-hmm. like, in the first half, it has this approachable, dramatically coherent premise that you're with it as it's escalating. So like as, as absurd as the movie gets, you've still been with it with every ratcheting step. It gets like worse and worse. And then there, there eventually becomes a departure point where the movie stops, jumps ahead in time. And then from that point on the movie loses its fucking mind. And so it's just like, (laughs) all right, the dramatic investment I have in this movie where there was a sense of coherence is gone like that, that, that started over and now it's just a sort of free fall, which in itself can be impressive, but just isn't dr- as dramatically effective. And so I just like I started to feel like, oh, this is great. This is what I don't like about him is that a lot of his movies, as they sort of escalate in drama, um, become temper tantrums to me, like artistic tantrums mm. that I'm just like, if I'm not if I don't feel like I'm in the hands of someone I trust, then it just is grating, overwhelming and irritating. If I feel like what you're doing in terms of like manipulating me and putting me in something that's stressing me out is worthwhile, then like, okay, you've earned my trust. And so I've talked 
for quite a while. Do you, mm. you want to tell me your experience with watching this? Yeah. Well, and I first off, I just really like the the point you made there at the end. The whole idea of like it's a it's a sort of a undefinable or hard to like nail down exactly what that feeling is. But when you know you're in the hands of a filmmaker that you're like, I just trust this person. I know that feeling you're talking about and even the lack of it, which is happens to you. You said with this film and then with a lot of Aronofsky movies, like I get that and it can throw you off right away on something and make you almost like question what you're watching in, in, in weird ways. And there's nothing better when you do feel like you're in the hands of someone who knows what they're doing is gifted. I, I think we've talked about this, like in regards to like Michael Haneke before, you know, right. like his yeah. movies can be, I get if people, if they're just not for a lot of people, which they're not like, it's just too, yeah. too much of whatever he does. But I'm always, I'm always feel trusting of what he's, where he's going to lead me. So I stick with it. So I, I definitely have to admit, um, this is sort of a preface to how I feel about Mother, uh, because Aronofsky, for the most part, is one of those filmmakers for me. I've, I've tended to like and love even a few of his movies uh-huh. um, uh, ever since Pi, even since that first movie where it also has its, you know, this it's ramping up to insanity. Yeah. Um, so I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Aronofsky, <laughs> and I'm with you that the marketing and the trailers for this were awesome. Uh there yeah. was there was one cut of a trailer I saw that was trying to sort of placate the uh, the more mainstream horror audience very clearly. It had that like trailer guy voice. It was I think we talked about it uh, last week, but um, yeah, it was it was confusing because it right. seemed like a joke. Right, uh, <laughs> it did because it was like the next week, get ready for you to shit your mind <laughs> out of your you know what I mean. And right. so it was just like. Uh huh. Because everybody was laughing in like the theater. I saw it. It was before it played before it uh, mm-hmm. when I saw the trailer, and I was just like, "What? Like, what's going? On? Oh, this is a joke, right?" And, and, you, and you know, it's wrong, all wrong. At least if you're at all familiar with Aronofsky, because this is clearly like this is art house like horror. This is like art house. This is like termite art. I would describe it, mother. And I think um, uh. you know, well, well, we'll get into it. <laughs> I think this is really great termite art. It's trashy, <clears throat> trashy art house whore. And it's made like um, for me, the big the big thing I've always loved with Aronofsky is like his sort of um, his willingness to fuck with the audience. And yes, I will even agree with you. He is sort of a like a boy having temper tantrums. That's a, actually a pretty great way to describe a lot of his style. Although I don't know, in this case, I kind of am okay with these tantrums. I don't feel like worn out by them, maybe in the way that, that you were with this film, but mother for me, it does have a very weird sort of split structure. And you alluded to it. Like there's um, a very almost slow burn sort of fluid, graceful, like taking its time. Like I'd say for more than even the first hour of the movie. Yeah. Uh, And the sort of comedy of errors you're talking about, the escalation of these uninvited guests that continue to show up, um, by the way, very nice to see Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer again. Like, yeah, wonderful. Sure. Um, and they're they're the two main uninvited guests that appear. And then when that split happens, when they sort of leave the <clears> house <throat> at a certain point, <clears throat> and the movie does become, it just takes like four more steps forward into crazy shit, like just batshit crazy town. I like wanted to stand up and applaud. I, I mean, I just. I was with the slow burn first half, and even as it made its turn into craziness, I was like, ooh, how did these two parts even fit together? And I would say that's maybe the biggest knock I have on the movie is, like, the grafting of these two things is um, is loose at best. 
but it essentially just needed like it's like that beginning is like the setup for this other major thing that's going to happen and um i loved it i loved its descent into insanity and by the time like without i don't think this is spoiling too much the movie basically becomes saving private ryan in their fucking house at a point uh, i was just like I, I couldn't believe what I was watching and then reminded myself coming out of the theater dazed, like this is a studio movie. You know, this is a like, y- yes, I, I want to know more of what didn't work for you, Joe. But like, you have to admit, this is like the kind of thing. It, it might be another one of those examples this year of like for you, something you wish was better for you. But you have to admit, like, man, it'd be great if more movies like this got made because like, I can't believe a fucking studio put this out. Yeah. But like to me, like it's not it's the opposite of termite art because okay. termite art is something that's like infesting and works slowly and gradually and then rips something apart. Okay. And like to me, like the movie is elephant art because it stampedes through and it's like it's it's an allegory that has no no interest in being a sort of dramatically coherent and effective story. So Mm -hmm. it's like as a story, it completely abandons itself and falls apart and doesn't work. So then like, so what is it giving you ultimately in its like last third, if I'm bad at fractions? Cause like it, it was sort of longer than one half, like the whole sort of slow burn, but like the last, you know, I don't know. I like, it felt, it did feel dramatically appropriate for the current time climate and world uh-huh. we live in uh-huh. where it's like no matter what you're trying to like hang on to in terms of coherence in terms of meaning in terms of purpose everything is spinning completely out of your control and is fucked and doesn't make any sense and it's violent and assaulting and horrible <laughs> like that's what i took from it but i wasn't like i was basically i just felt like i was being yelled at as much as i could take that and appreciate it as an idea I was just sort of like, yeah, but this is a mess and it doesn't like and I'm not with it and I'm not going to walk away feeling sort of like charged in the way that I think like I think his one of his counterparts in terms of like being polarizing and frustrating would be Lars von Trier. And I think that like, you know, as much as like Michael Haneke is one of them, Michael Haneke is much more controlled Mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, he's like if you're not with it, like you're not with like he's. He's not. He's nowhere near as histrionic as either one, uh, Darren Aronofsky or Lars von Trier. Good point. But but I think that like Lars von Trier at his best, even in his most alienating films, like you know Dogville, where it was just like the whole the whole like uh, how it was shot was right. it was calling to was just calling into view the artifice of it all. Like this is all fake, but still I'm going to draw you into something. And pull you into the story that is so, like, horrifying that you're going to ask for something that you will then feel bad about getting. And I was just like, fuck that. Like, he he perfectly executed, a, a, like, a lust for blood that when it's delivered is horrifying to you. And I was like, I walked away feeling like there was a dynamic experience that had happened. Whereas with this, I was just tired and wanted it to stop. And I was just like, I'm not going to walk away feeling like... Like, I'm glad for the conversations that his movies spur. Right. But I always feel, like, dejected and bankrupt afterwards. And I'm like, I, he seems like an asshole. And I did walk out halfway through the q and I was like, wow, this is boring. Like, I don't. 
Because he's like, it's an allegory. I'm like, yeah, we got that. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty like, obvious, right? That That is not subtle in any point. And I would even say he weaves probably like at least four different allegories within this whole movie. You know, yeah. it's, it's not just a religious allegory or sort of a Garden of Eden story, which it's it's very much that. And then I, I mean, to me, the, the most pronounced one is that it's an environmental allegory. Yeah. That yeah. like she is Mother Earth, mm-hmm. you know, or nature and like the world she's trying to maintain and build is the house that's being ripped apart by people. Right. And uh, like, you know, in the last Saving Private Ryan section where everybody's literally ripping the house apart, she says, I just want them all to leave. I yeah. just want them all to make them leave. And I was like, is he asking for human beings to just to be dead as a filmmaker? Because <laughs> like, well, he did make Noah as his last movie. And it's I was shocked how similar this actually plays to Noah. I, I, did you ever catch that one? I didn't know. Okay. okay uh, it, it friend, is a f- friend of the show. Henry Weintraub really mm-hmm. recommends it. So yeah, his, it's, it's a fascinating movie. Huh? Well, what, what did Henry say about it? Sorry. He just was like, he wasn't expecting what the movie does, which like is sort of like berserk. Certainly, it you is. Know, it just yeah. becomes like a weird monster movie in the last half. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the, the, the first half is like this. It, it's a, sort of the Noah story you might be familiar with, but it's really done in the, instead of taking it seriously as a biblical or religious story, it's, it's done as like a Lord of the Rings fantasy thing, which I love. He even has a, an explanation uh, of the creation of earth through evolution in a story that's from the Bible, which is pretty great that he made a big budget movie and the flock of, you know, religious audiences that would go to it would be confronted with that right away. Um, and then, yeah, it becomes a sort of weird domestic horror once the flood comes in. It's a it's a strange movie. It's not totally successful, but it's fascinating. And it also works as an environmental allegory that he that's what I guess Aronofsky always saw in that material and why he always wanted to tell the Noah story. Uh-huh. And yeah. that I definitely got that read in Mother as well, because it's like um, uh, other friend of the show, Octa Kozak. Uh, I saw it with him and we were talking about how. Uh, if you were to look at the existence of our planet, like on a calendar, just a one year calendar, 12 months, you know, human existence is like a, like five minutes on the last day of the month or last day of the year. You know, like we've barely been on this planet and this movie sort of does have that effect of like when it speeds through, like the amount of people showing up, like I thought that actually worked really effective, effectively for the allegory. They like ramping up of like, Oh my God, there's too many people. There's too many people. And I just, I, I got lost in the visceral, like, like awesomeness of what I was seeing. Like, um, the real quick, and then I'll hand it off to you is like, Yes, this movie is like an asshole sort of yelling at you and like we're all fucked or people are terrible. Yeah, it kind of has that attitude towards it. Now, I don't really want to listen to an asshole just get up and talk and say that kind of thing. We have plenty of them. We have plenty of run in the country right now. (laughs) Exactly, right? I don't need that. But what this movie, this movie gave me something else to... I guess for me to swallow that pill a little bit easier was like, it gave me fucking cinema. Like it gave me craziness and uh, it, it was beautifully made, even though it's like showing you horrific stuff. Um, So that went a long way for me in swallowing what was probably a bit of a obvious and angry tantrum, which I agree with, uh, with you, but um, it made it easier to swallow for me. Yeah. Huh? Um, (laughs) I yeah I I mean that's that's interesting because like I completely f- feel the opposite because I think ah. because once it loses its coherence mm. 
mm-hmm. as a story that you can invest in, that you can sort there's like, even if it is a sort of like hammerheaded allegory where it's like, this is what this is about. You know, like this is about the what we're doing to the planet. You get it? You know, and I'm just like, yeah, yes, we get it. Jesus Christ, they're like, they're Jesus Christ. There is like a coherence to the first two thirds mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. like I was with it and like I was sort of like following it, you know, in a in a linear fashion. And there was like there was an entry point to it that when it becomes an all out assault, I don't know what. Because like pe- human beings are under assault, it doesn't work as a wake up call. It just becomes this sort of like thrashing, incoherent thing that like I I just didn't I didn't walk out into the world with like you know you, like even a sense of devastation. I was just tired and irritated by it. And I think like that, I think that is him at his worst. You know what I mean? And sure, I don't sure. and I'm not saying that this is his worst movie at all. Um, but like I think that, you know, it definitely sharpened my knives for Black Swan. Which <laughs> is like, I was just I hadn't rewatched it yet. And I was like, mm, OK, well, if I felt like I was going to give it a chance, then uh, my knives are sort of like waiting. And like, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, like. The. We, we talk about like difficulty being something that like, you know, the, the movies that we've been recommending lately, um, the ones that we champion oftentimes are like seen as, you know, difficult and stressful. And like, you know, if if anything, like, let's not shy away from that. Let's like really deal with it, deal with what it's at, confronting you with, because like art is a sort of safe way for us to process incredibly difficult things, mm-hmm. you know, and like and like with this, I was just like, I I don't know that this is like telling me anything I don't know. And like, and it's doing it in such an aggressive histrionic. It was like a, if I describe it as like a, a guar concert, like maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but it was it's like there to me in like, in like the last leg, there was nothing really pleasurable about it. It was just sort of like, you know, and like, I don't want to spoil anything. Can you really spoil the conclusion of this movie though? Cause it just like goes ape shit and you're just sort of like, Huh? What? Now what's happening? That she had a baby? What the fuck? How? Where are all these? I don't. What's going on? I would say technically you can't spoil it. I think you're right because, yeah. like, given what the opening shot is, uh, it tells you right. everything you need to know right away and yeah. lets you know that you are not watching something take place in the it's real a world. Closed loop of devastation and <laughs> renewal and you know, I don't know. Maybe I don't part know. Of, like pa- I. Go ahead. Huh. Well, I, was, I was just going to say, like, maybe part of this is just that difference uh, specifically with you and me. And, like, I sometimes just go for these, like, unpleasant movies that maybe, like, it's not the same as The Tribe, but I always think of The Tribe. Like, I just got, I just was, like, jazzed by that movie, like, the filmmaking and its sort of entry into the, like, crim, uh, crime story canon, you know, of movies. Like, but... Jazzed. <laughs> I like that's the stuff I like locked in on and really like was taken with, you know, by those movies, by this sure. movie and that. And uh, maybe I'm able to like, uh, I don't know, like I can almost like ignore the really unpleasant stuff, not ignore it. It's there. And I, I actually am like, OK, with it being in these movies. But like it doesn't the fact that it mother told me nothing. I didn't know. Like it, I'm in the same boat as you like it didn't 
teach me anything, but I just love that I came out feeling like dazed and, and like, what the fuck was that? Like shaken by it. Um, the, the exhaustion and the, the, the feeling of you wanting it to stop was, was I was exhausted, but I was okay if it wanted to keep going. Like I, I just, it turned me on in a weird way. I don't know. See the, the, that that experience of feeling dazed and disoriented and staggering out like i get the same sense from like uh spectacle fatigue movies it's an emptiness like and i don't i don't like i don't value that necessarily i don't value an empty exhaustion and disorientation and but it's also like he he his producer at the Q and a before I walked out was talking about how the movie, he was like, I call it a cry of impotent rage. And then Darren Aronofsky was like, I don't like to be referred to as impotent. So I'll call it helpless rage. And I was like, okay, that's fine. So rage, like, but there's like, to me, there's no shortage of rage and we're all mad at each other. And it's all escalating in this sort of like overlapping. Everyone's overlapping into this giant cacophony that no one knows what to do with. And so it's just a matter of like what what is like in like useful to you. Mm-hmm. And like to me this is kind of like you know when someone dismisses a singer as like whiny. I don't like it cuz it's whiny. Sure. I guarantee that they do like something that someone else considers whiny. So it's like right. frequencies that you're able to tolerate. And like Darren Aronofsky is hysterical in a way that I don't think I'm tolerant of. And uh <laughs> uh, do you, do you want to pivot maybe to uh, or like we can just talk about how how the movie's kind of doing right now? Yeah, um, I think we should just a little bit because uh, it it I wanted to say how like you know this is the the kind of movie it didn't it did just kind of okay you know according to its budget yeah uh, it made like seven and a half million in the U.S. and I think it basically made the same worldwide. So it's it's doing okay box office wise, but it was definitely a low gross. And it is just such a it the movie is such Juggernaut. a Yeah. I mean that thing is gonna be like one of the highest grossing movies of the year when all is said and done. Um Mother is not that but it it's it's too bad that like I thought it had a really strong marketing campaign. Maybe it's a, a fatigue in the audience of getting something like it. And then the next week getting it sort of polar opposite in terms of its approach to horror, I guess uh-huh. <clears throat> right after maybe it's just an audience fatigue or maybe it just looked stupid to people. I, I don't know. Uh, but it, it had generally good reviews, somewhat divisive, some really negative reviews. It's, it's definitely a divisive movie, but overall, like it does pretty well. But uh, I think it's interesting that this is one of those movies that like, for me or anybody else that also goes for it, I think they're going to champion this movie and be so glad that exists. Right. Yet it's not one that an audience looks like rotten tomatoes has become such a big talking point this year of like how effective it is for a movie's um, performance. It's become a big, it's, it's a little silly. The studios sort of blame it, but like people really do. I noticed working at the theater, like how often people refer to rotten tomatoes to make their movie choices. And mother is just one of those that because it sits in that 60 to 70% range, basically because it's probably a little bit too weird or interesting from the norm to get a 90, you know, like something that the audience would automatically go see is like, it's, it does. It's interesting that like, um, even though I think a lot of people won't like this movie, I get why you don't, I get why it's going to be a device. Why it got an F cinema score, by the way, that is, that's, that's, I get, I get all that. I mean, to be fair, (laughs) killing them softly got an F, right? You know, exactly. 
Mm-hmm. I think like the it's it it is a sort of like get like it's not necess- like the marketing wasn't necessarily misleading. Mm-hmm. I think it was just intriguing. It, it was it you were just always going to alienate people with this movie. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. so as unclear and sort of mysterious as the the advertisements were, it wasn't necessarily like telling you like this like the A24 kind of suggests uh, it comes at night as a horror movie right. when it's not a conventional horror movie. It's an apocalyptic melodrama. And like, I love the movie because of that. Um, and like people might walk out and be like, what the fuck? Like what would nothing happen in that movie? You know? Right. And like, and with mother, I just don't like, I don't think you can, I think you can be irritated, but not because the movie, like the advertisements lied to you. Right. Like, I think you could just be like, wow, that guy seems like an asshole. I don't want to, <laughs> have a dinner conversation with him. Um, <laughs> I just wonder like a movie like this, like it's, it's chances are so difficult. Like because it right. sits in that, just back to that real quick, that rotten tomatoes thing of like, it sits yeah, yeah. in that range that isn't going to automatically draw the audience that has, if they haven't heard anything about the movie, if they just see it there, it's, it's not going to draw most people like no. it. And it's too, it is too hysterical of a movie. It's, it's, it's willing to go for it in a way that 95% of movies, especially mainstream movies, like are just always going to round off those edges. This movie is willing to ma- it. This movie sharpens its edges and just goes for it. Yeah. How does, a, how does a movie like that exist? And it's, it's, it isn't saying that it was a mainstream studio release, but like, it's just like, I, I I'm amazed that these things ever happen in this way, but like, of course they rarely happen. It's like, they, they just right. like can't, it, it, it's almost impossible. It, it just would have needed this massive groundswell of like total critical support. And then even then a lot of audiences still would have been pissed off. You know what I mean? It would have had this weird effect. It would have had the, it comes at night effect, which was, I think better overall reviewed, but had a yeah. similar sort of disappointment from the audience coming out on opening weekend. It did well. Cause it was a low budget movie. Um, mother's a bit more expensive, but they're kind of similar, uh, things that they're, uh, levels that they're operating on. I think, I think it's a good comparison. Um, and I just wonder like what how, how, I want, <laughs> I mean, I liked this one much more than you, but like, I just, uh, even, even if the next one is bad, I would love more things like this to happen. Uh, it's insane to me that it, that it came out and was made for $30 million, um, by a studio. But, um, yeah, I just, I just wonder what the chances are for something like that. It's so hard. Yeah, I think that speaks to just how uh, how undiverse the sort of like film going experience is nowadays. Because yes. like this movie like is a sort of like forehead slapping anomaly of like how how did this happen? How did this get made? Um, yeah. Similar to like you know a much more gigantic failure this year was like the Luke Besson movie Valerian. Right. Right. You know, it was just like, you look at something like that. That's a sort of like bug eyed spectacle that you're just like, well, Jesus, like, and you, you almost like, even though you heard it was like, not great. You want to support that. It was just like, okay, if no one goes this movie, this type of movie will never get made. And maybe who knows, like maybe you not voting with your dollars is like just being like, well, maybe it shouldn't get made. You know, maybe like this should die off. But it's just like you want a diversity. You want a sort of like a, a, a difference in experience, a sense of variety that largely doesn't exist anymore. And so, like, of course, you know, you and I are always vying for that sense of variety. And then like you look at a, a movie like this that Paramount put out and like put, you know, 30 million, which is small compared to, 
you know, a Marvel movie is still like, that's a lot of money. You know, it's mm-hmm. a lot of money for a movie that's like, you had to have read the script and know that it loses its fucking mind in the last half an hour. So it's just like, that's, that's kind of a miracle. However you feel about the movie, you know? And it's just like, if like, if we don't, I don't know, like what's going to happen. Cause like I, Darren Aronofsky talked to uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky on the Talk House podcast. I think it was like a couple months ago. It was a great podcast. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great like conversation between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, just the just the idea that like I think now like over the past like five years, uh, people have really kind of like become fascinated with Alejandro Jodorowsky because they're like, how did this ever happen? Mm-hmm. But like there was a a midnight culture, a psychedelic culture that like sort of made his incredibly visionary movies like a possibility. Like he's a completely unique individual and there's kind of like not many people like him. Right. Uh, But there still was like, there was, there was a world where that possibility could happen. You know, like there was, there was an art culture that sort of like, you know, $3 million or however much Holy mountain cost, uh, could be sort of like drummed up to make his vision possible. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think it just showed at the film center, right? It, it did. Like out. It uh, did. Yeah. Which that, you know, you remember, we never get sellouts there, man. That, yeah, it, yeah I was sad. I missed it, but uh, so glad to see that for sure. Yeah. And uh, he's, he's had incredible struggles in terms of like, you know, keep holding on to the rights of his films, like keep continuing to like make work that doesn't necessarily generate income. Cause he's like, He's vied for like the vision is the most important. Who fucking cares if it makes money? But that's hard to it's hard to make that argument mm-hmm. when film costs so much money. You right. know what I mean? Like so it, it has to sort of like make its money back. And like it's funny because like, I'm glad they talk to each other on that podcast because like mm-hmm. they elicit a similar reaction from me where like there is a deep laugh that both of them hit on where like. <laughs> It's the loneliest laugh in the theater because uh, <laughs> I laugh at stuff in like I both like this, which was a very like I laughed at Mother and I laughed at Black Swan, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And I laughed at um, uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky's last movie before Endless Poetry. Yeah. Dance of Reality. Yeah. yeah I laughed so hard <laughs> during a part that's just so like ridiculously over the top grim that like I was laughing so hard that I didn't realize no one around me was laughing. <laughs> so once I started to like diet, like, <laughs> Oh shit. I sound like a psychopath. Cause like I'm the only person laughing at a corpse turning to a small boy trapped in a coffin and saying, God doesn't exist. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I like, it was psychotic. And so uh, I, I apologize to anybody else in the theater who was put off by someone they felt was mentally ill. I'm okay, I'm okay now. Um, I would have laughed with you, but yeah, they, they, so like, you know, as, as much of a struggle as Alejandro Jodorowsky had making his movies, even in their time, there still was, I don't know, like a sense of like variety. There was like that things could like people like David Lynch could be coming out and like they were sort of like counterparts and peers and, uh, you know, and, and, and now we're just in a place where, uh, you know, like he, Darren Aronofsky, like has, he's had some inexplicable hits, you know, like he, Black Swan was a hit. Noah, I think did well enough, Mm -hmm. you know, that Mm -hmm. like, 
he's still he still could use his chips to make what he wants. And so like you want people who have a strong point of view, who can guarantee that variety, who are not just jumping at whatever the next sort of like big company job is to make what they want to make. I'm not always going to love it, but you know, like I'm I'm certainly glad that like variety can still exist for a limited time only. Meeny 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 meeny. Meeny 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 meeny. Meeny 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 meeny. Hold up. Wait a minute. Now just wait. Perfection is not just about control. It's also about letting go. Surprise yourself so you can surprise the audience. Transcendence. And very few have it in them. I think I do have it in them. Ah! You bit me? I can't, I can't believe you, you bit me. Looking at Black Swan, uh, as I sort of listed his movies and was thinking about this episode, it occurred to me that there's a much better pick for for a traditional sort of holdup, uh, which, you know, is a segment we created years ago uh, where the idea was to look at something that one of us really liked or appreciated when it came out, but majority of people did not like. Yeah. And actually, Mother might be a future holdup pick <laughs> when all the yeah. when all is said and done. But it, it occurred to me that The Fountain is a great selection because I, I love that movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember really going to bat for it when it came out. I was still living in Minnesota at the time, but I just started writing about movies and I, I just like, I, I loved it. And I, um, e- even though it is like a sort of not full picture, you can tell it's limited by its more limited budget than he wanted to make it with. Um, anyway, I find The Fountain to be a fascinating film, but we, uh, we are here to talk about Black Swan, which is just sort of a different version of Hold Up where... Um, you know, that film, as you said, big hit, uh, that was the one that really put him on the map. He, uh, Aronofsky, he was nominated for directing Oscar. The movie was up for several Oscars, one, uh, Natalie Portman, best actress. I mean, I, um, it was sort of his entry point into the like mainstream, which starting off right there is crazy. Black Swan is a low Mm -hmm. budget, uh, I would say, you know, horror movie. It's like red shoes. Uh, the Red Shoes, which is a great classic film, but done as if it was a Polanski movie, but also um, an Argento sort of giallo movie. You know, it's got elements of of those filmmakers, more like surrealistic horror stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And that movie was a massive hit up for awards. It's crazy to me that 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 happened with Black Swan. But yeah. um, even upon revisiting it, it still is very effective to me as a movie that locks you in to a uh, a character that is mentally crumbling and just like losing it like i, uh-huh. I kind of loved vacationing in that psycho's brain for a while and uh it's still a very effective movie for me i really i really love the hysterical elements the sort of stuff that could you could even argue is like campy and kind of hilarious like i actually think some of black swan is meant to be funny and um i don't know about mother necessarily but i get why you could laugh at movies like this i just didn't see it as a negative so Black Swan still really, really works for me, um, even beyond its sort of hype machine when it came out. Um, yeah, I thought, like, to be fair, I sort of rigged this pick because <laughs> I like this is, you know, again, this is one of the first conversations that you and I had this mm-hmm. sort of disagreement about this movie. And I thought that, like, 
at best, it was like, this is something that I find myself at odds with most people about Mm -hmm. most people who like love movies. They're, they're just like, you don't like black Swan. Like, no, but like, so I had to investigate, like, what am I reacting to? Am I reacting to the quality of the movie itself or the reaction to it? Because like my, my reaction to it was like, this movie is elevated camp. And it's not being treated as such. It's being treated as though it's this sort of like poised masterpiece of like art cinema. Mm-hmm. And like, and so like when I was laughing um, at Winona Ryder stabbing herself in the face and making me seem like a very bad person, um, I was just like, well, this is ridiculous. Like this, and if it's ridiculous and it, it's camp, why is no one else kind of giving into it? And like, if it does have those giallo nightmare logic tendencies, why is it not as fun? And if it is to me, I, I honestly, like, I think it, it's more derivative of showgirls than it is of red shoes, <laughs> the red shoe diaries, whatever you were referencing. Just kidding. Um, but like, I was, I remember watching cause I, I, I finished watching showgirls pretty late. Cause like when it came out, I started to watch it and I was like, huh? Like it wasn't, didn't know how to process it. Saw it later. And it was just like, what the black Swan rips this movie off. Like it, like it's very derivative of it. And why is that understood as a terrible movie? Like in, you know, enchantingly terrible, but it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And like now mm-hmm. black Swan is just sort of like, it's brilliant. I remember, sorry, I'm rambling, but Don't like, apologize. I remember, Mark Marin talking about Black Swan, uh, <laughs> like close to when it came out, and he was like attacking critics for saying that it was derivative, and said, "Can't we just have our minds blown, you pompous fucks or pompous cunts?" I think is what he called people. <laughs> and I was like, "Well, yeah, if you're like, if you go ahead and have your mind blown, but if you're put off by the movie, can't you be just as vocal about it? You know, like, can't there mm-hmm. be a, a sort of..." Uh, a a variety of reaction to something and like that's what I just wasn't hearing I was just like this movie's ridiculous and it's ridiculous to the and to me in rewatching it even though my knives were sharpened for it after watching mother I think it holds together much better as a as a story my Mm -hmm. whole problem with mother isn't the same problem I have with black swan Mm -hmm. like it like it holds together as a dramatically kind of like involving narrative. And then as it goes berserk, you're still part of something that's like thematically intact and like, and, and dramatically intact to rhyme. Um, <laughs> and so like the, as the movie like escalates and goes berserk, it's still following a sort of coherent structure that mm-hmm. I think pays off. Like whether you're still along for the ride is questionable, but like it's still, it still pays off, you know, like in terms of making sense, there was something that's so repulsive to me. Um, and it's the movie's eight years old now. So if you haven't seen it for Christ's sakes, look, stop the episode now, watch it, watch it, (laughs) come back. But Natalie Portman's character is saying it's in Vincent Cassell's face, who I think Vincent Cassell is outstanding again. I mean, the whole cast is great. Yeah. Mila Um, Kunis has not really ever been, at all this good in my opinion. And that's another thing that I think, uh, like the mother hinges on four people's performances and the rest is just sort of like, what, what's happened? Who are these people? What's happening? And, um, that those mostly maintain and hold even as the 
allegory gets broader and more ridiculous. It's difficult to maintain sort of character composure and coherence. But anyway, like with Black Swan, that's not as much of an issue. And but Natalie Portman saying into Vincent Cassell's face, it was perfect. It was perfect. Fade into Darren, directed by Darren Aronofsky. And I was like, fuck you. You are <laughs> such a, like, speaking of pompous C-U-N-T-S, like, Jesus, <laughs> it was so repulsive to me. And I don't think I had that reaction when I saw it in the theater. Yeah. Because yeah. I was watching it and I was like, I just, my entire apartment building could hear me go, oh. And so <laughs> we we stand. Uh, Divided. Eight later we stand in the same position and you know what that's what started our whole conversation you know our whole ongoing black hole film conversation so i'm glad i'm glad we're still in the same position i'm glad we're still you know chugging away at talking it out yeah i wouldn't want it any other way yeah but uh yeah i'm still i i think it's like because i see how hysterical he can get and how reckless he can get Mm -hmm. i think Black Swan holds together better um, than Mother might. Um, (laughs) But I still think it's ridiculous. And I would recommend you watch Showgirls before you watch Black Swan. So I would recommend doing Showgirls, Black Swan and Neon Demon. I feel like that would be this amazing like you'd get the whole spectrum of like, yeah, at least like looking at it sort of the way people remember these movies. Right. You get the one that's considered awful with Showgirls, the sort of more mixed, but kind of awful neon demon and then you get black swan which was praised but they are all kind of operating they're both neon demon and black swan are kind of ripping off elements of showgirls yeah and uh to to bring it back to aronofsky though like um i think that's something he's sort of i don't know if if he it's intentional i feel like he's a very intentional filmmaker you know he knows what he wants but he feels like he's almost fallen into with Black Swan and Mother and even Noah, this like this sort of idea of like he is pretentious. He's he's a pretentious filmmaker. And I don't right. always mean that as a pejorative. Like I actually think in this case, it's like I also equate pretension with ambition. And he's a yeah. very ambitious filmmaker. He's not subtle at all. And he right. loves to sort of um he loves to like obliterate the audience, right? So he's got this he's coming into this weird alchemy of and it's what makes his movies work for me is like, I don't always know, like he shoots it like prestige, like black Swan is made and told as if it's a very serious, like, you know, story about a ballet dancer, but it has all this weird, surreal nightmarish and also sort of campy goofy material, like not even buried in it. It is just there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of like it. It just, I like the, 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 that, that weird, like it's, it's, I can't really, you know, articulated any more than that. It's just, I like that weird thing he's, he's on about in these last few films. And it is another good comparison to a Lars von Trier. Like I actually think antichrist would be a a fitting double feature with mother, but you probably wouldn't want to leave your bed for a few days if you watch those two together. But do you want to just round it up to five and then put (laughs) repulsion on there as well? And then have have five uh, (laughs) movies all, about creeps pondering the interior life of women. Right. Repulsion is, is definitely that one I thought of. Uh, it's that Polanski element, the, the most like Polanski film, uh, the one that sort of touch black Swan touches on the most. 
Um, and right down to the like, you know, uh, the fact that Natalie Portman's character is this very uh, she's guarded and almost not asexual, but you get the sense that she's like a child and hasn't. Uh, men covet her and want her and in black swan women want her as well but like she doesn't she hasn't even grown up enough to process that it's this weird mm-hmm. Catherine Deneuve's character is very similar in repulsion I love those elements of it and um, it's one of those things that I kind of love the things he's touching on like when when a Tarantino movie really works for me you have to acknowledge that like oh I, I love that element from a movie he loves like when it's all working it, it just it works for me and um I love that we stand divided. I'm with you. Like this is this is what created AYT in the first place. So um, you know, I, I I don't think it should really change. I, I guess it's all for the best. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Well, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. Um, I thought I thought you were gonna like Mother coming out of it uh, last week. I, I mean, I thought I did like it, and then it <laughs> like it just became assaulting and histrionic, and I felt empty in my exhaustion. So <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Well, you know, in this Aronofsky episode, we didn't even mention um, his his two other films. We didn't mention just The Wrestler and Requiem for a Dream. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they'll come up. We'll be talking about Aronofsky again, I'm sure. But um, maybe we can touch more on those. But are are there any movies of his that you would go to bat for that you champion still? I think the two that you just mentioned. Um, okay, okay. Um, and Pi. Like, I, yeah. I still I haven't revisited since seeing it. My sister and I went to go see it when it came out in the theater at the Art House Theater in Eugene. Pi felt like a discovery. It felt like something new, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. And then, like, and the sense of, like, uh, sophistication that came with Rec Room for Your Dream in terms of, like, the scale that he was working with and, like, just, you know, the, the sheer kind of, like, uh, symphony of misery that the movie hits on. Oh, definitely. Uh, what it's interesting that would be also an interesting hold up episode because like uh Jared Leto has gone on to become one of like the most irritating people to me um maybe he looks like he might single-handedly ruin the new Blade Runner movie <laughs> I was just going to say maybe we maybe we talk about Requiem when when that comes out <laughs> uh and like Darren Aronofsky's tendencies I'm just like I wonder how I would feel about this movie knowing how sort of thrashy and tantrumy he's like known to become and is clearly not growing out of you know <laughs> totally um so that that would be a that'd be an interesting one to revisit um but I think the wrestler is like as as much as it's kind of dramatically similar to Black Swan in terms of like the sense of uh, the annihilation of self, losing yourself into something. Right. Um, like I think there was an article that juxtaposed the two movies and how similar they are. Like the actually the climax again, like wrestlers even older than Black Swan. So if you haven't seen it, the them both the two characters, both Mickey Rourke's character and Natalie Portman's character falling off something mm-hmm. as like their sort of death dive, you know, in the conclusions, like the they perfectly mirror each other, you yep. know. I yeah. think that the wrestler is like a much more sentimental movie. Mm-hmm. Um and I think like a little more dramatically satisfying in terms of like a conventional story it's his Uh, most conventional movie i think for sure yeah and and so in that sense like that that's something that i think like just holds together better um well let's be honest mickey rourke is that's one of i think the like great acting performances of like the 2000s you know like i just think he the fact that he didn't win every award is like kind of one of those examples of like what's so silly about the oscars it's like they gave it to sean penn a second time over mickey rourke i mean it's like whatever you know 
he's he's what did, what did Sean Penn win for? It was his second one. He won for Milk that year. He and everybody was it seemed like everybody thought Rourke had it because he had that sort of like career resurgence thing storyline yeah. that people tend to love. But uh, mm-hmm. they went for Sean Penn. Of course, of course, those bastards. Well, um, fifty minutes later, I think we could have probably talked about Aronofsky probably for another hour or so. But I, I think we I think we should just cut it off there. What do you think? Yeah, seems, seems good. All right, well, we'll wrap up episode 152 of Adjust Your Tracking. You can find all of our episodes and those of our other shows on the Playlist Podcast Network over at theplaylist.net. We've got a podcast tab there. You can find them all. We're also on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes and Stitcher. That'd be very helpful. You can email us, me and Joe, that is, at adjustyourtracking at gmail.com. Where else can people find us, Joe? We're, we're out on Facebook and Twitter, right? Yep. Uh, at adjust your track is our Twitter handle. And then just look up adjust your tracking on Facebook. There may be some other ones, but we're, we're the podcast. So, uh, can have some, some new, new additions to the, the, our Facebook feed, you know, with, uh, you know, we're, we're some, some coming attractions. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. st- stay tuned to that. Like us on there if you want. Exactly. Um, and if you do all that, we'd be very thankful, but not as thankful as I am to get to chat with you, Joe. Thanks, Eric. <laughs>